Well, good morning. And it is truly a privilege to be back ministering to you, uh, my Westmount family. It's been amazing to be back these past few couple of weeks to fellowship, get reacquainted with some that I met over the past few visits. So it has truly been a blessing and a privilege, and I hope that as I present to you this morning, it will be not only a blessing, but also a sermon, a passage that will grip your hearts and remind us of the God whom we serve. And with that being said, it's an understatement to say that the past two and a half years have been filled with nothing but uncertainty. Life itself is filled with uncertainty if we're brutally honest with ourselves. But the past two few years in particular with this pandemic that has hit us, and we're still feeling the rippling effects of that in some way, shape, or form. And it seems like there's no way to, or the government, with relentless effort to try and control what I believe is an uncontrollable disease. And as a result of this effort to control, they start controlling people. They start controlling human beings. And that came with it with a lot of uncertainty. Then there seems to be like the world is just spiraling out of control. Have you seen that? Have you noticed that? Over these past couple of years, it's just seemed like everything is out of control. We have, again, the government with their overreach in so many ways. We have people protesting everywhere. We have wars and rumors of wars. We have natural disasters, and it's just one thing after the other, and it's like, what's happening? What's going on? Is there any control? And that's the question that we're forced to ask. That's the question we're faced with. Who is in control? And depending on who you ask, you'll get different answers. You'll get varied answers. In fact, we ourselves tend to think we run things, to use that terminology. We are the ones that are in control of our own lives. Even from a Christian perspective, we have that notion, we have that mindset. But who is in control? Who has been in control since the dawn of time? Since before the dawn of time? And I would say and surmise that when we come not only to acknowledge who is in control, but to believe with absolute certainty who is in control of time, space, and matter, It's only then, then and only then, will we come to the place where we find peace amid chaos, where we find peace amid uncertainty, where we find peace amid these government overreach, and we find peace in all of life's circumstances when we come to acknowledge and believe with absolute certainty who is actually in control. The psalm that we're going to look at this afternoon, or this morning, Psalm 90, when you read it, if you, for those who have read it, 
it gives you the impression of someone or a sad overtone. That's what you get when you read the psalm or Psalm 90 at first glance. It's like sadness. Moses is just expressing his sadness, like close to being depressed. It, it, it gives you an impression that this is a man who is in distress. But I would argue on the contrary. Psalm 90 depicts Moses in this psalm depicts and is depicting complete and total trust in the God whom he served. He is depicting submission and faith to God and God's will. That's what's happening in this psalm. Even though it might seem as though it's sadness and distress and depression and gloom, it's actually the opposite. The psalm reports human life as troubled. The psalm reports human life as fleeting. It reports human life as sinful. But it also focuses on God. It focuses on God as the eternal one. It focuses on God as the sovereign one, the judge. And even though he's all of these and so much more, he is still attainable. He's still accessible. We still, as human beings, as his people, can reach out to him and go to him and confide in him amid trials, amid difficulties, amid trying circumstances. So in all of life's trials, man can still, believers in particular, can still have confidence in the God whom they serve. And that is what this psalm is about. And I'll invite you as we turn there and I'll read a few verses as we get into into the sermon, into the text. Moses, and it's a prayer, as you will see from the, the, the subscription in Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And we'll get into that momentarily. You have been our dwelling place when? In all generation. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So as we explore this idea and this topic of the the sovereignty of God, what I want to highlight first and foremost is that the sovereignty of God is depicted, is seen in who he is. It's defined in his being. It's defined in his being, who God is. God is presented by Moses here as eternal Moses says, from everlasting to everlasting, and that's just putting it in humanistic terms. We have another terminology, eternity past, eternity future, which is nonsensical because eternity can't have a past, present, or future, hence why it's eternity. But just so that our finite minds can grapple with things a bit more better. That's why it's phrased that way. But Moses here is saying from everlasting to everlasting, and that's a similar phrase. 
If it's everlasting, it needs to be said just once. But Moses is placing emphasis on the eternality of the God whom he's serving, who he's putting his trust and his confidence in. And what this means, folks, for us, and again, this is familiar language to us, God does not change. He does not change. And why is that significant for us? This makes him 100% dependable. We can always rely on God. Always rely on him because Moses said, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. We have relied on you throughout this entire existence of our humanity as a nation from this point on. And Moses is even implying that it's going to go beyond that. Why? Because you are from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You are the eternal one. You are the 100% dependable one. He is eternal. He is the supreme Lord. And I love that term, supreme Lord. Supreme in authority. He is supreme in rule. He is supreme in majesty. Supreme in justice. And this supreme rule, folks, extends to all creation. Every single aspect of creation. And this should and ought to give us comfort And assurance in our lives, especially in lives that are so filled with uncertainties. So because God is eternal and because he's the supreme ruler, guess what? Even when the pandemic struck, we as believers can say God is still supreme. He reigns supreme. Even amid the government overreach and the uncertainties of life, we can echo God is supreme. God rules supreme. In the uncertainties of life and the chaos that comes our way and the natural disasters that hit us, we can say with absolute certainty, God rules supreme. Because guess what? Nothing, absolutely nothing is going to change his supremacy. Nothing is going to change his sovereignty. Nothing is going to change the fact that he's from everlasting to everlasting. These governments can overreach all they want. They can't overreach the supremacy of God. The calamities that you might face in life is not bigger than the God you serve. The chaos, the, the catastrophes, God reigns supreme folks. And as I said, until we get to the point where we truly understand, acknowledge, believe that with absolute certainty, we will not find peace and assurance and comfort amid chaos. God is supreme. He's eternal. He's the preeminent one. He's preeminent in his might preeminent in his strength. The rulers of this world, whether it's democracy or dictatorship alike, they're puffed up and they try to find ways to be more puffed up and get all the power that they want and they try to wield these powers at will to show other leaders and other world powers who's boss. And to show the citizens who's boss and who's in control. 
but God's might undo the ploys of his enemies, of his foes. He is the one true God. He's unique in his being and in his essence. There is none like him. Nothing, no one in this created universe can compare to God. And he is the source of all things. He is the covenant-keeping God. That is who he revealed himself to Moses as, not just in Exodus 3, verses 13, verses 13 and 14, but also in the very first book of the Bible. His, the description there, in the beginning, Elohim, the covenant-keeping God, the one that says, I'm going to do this, and it happens, it's done. You can rest assured on that. And because God is sovereign, folks, he is involved in the affairs of humanity. He's involved in the affairs of mankind. So whether it's wars, chaos, catastrophe, plagues, and yes, especially in your own personal lives. Because he cares. He cares for you. He is lofty, Isaiah said. He's high and lifted up, but he's not inaccessible. There's going to be a, a glitch in the system like what happened the other day with Rogers, and then there's lack of communication between you and God because there's no way to get to him. He's not inaccessible. He's reachable, and he's always there for those who cry out to him. And that's what Moses is doing here in his prayer. He's crying out to God. He's here for us. He's there for us. He hears us. And because of this, folks, and this is the conclusion of who God is in his being, this is the conclusion that Moses came to. Even before he acknowledges who God is in his being, he is and always will be your safety net. He's your refuge. He's your oasis in that desert on which you encamp. And this is the imagery that Moses is using here when he says, you have been our dwelling place in all generation. Is that oasis in the desert land. And you get the picture and the imagery there that, man, this place is parched and lack of substance, but God is the sustenance that we have even in this parched desert land. We can trust him. We can be, have confidence in him. He is our hiding place. And we can rest. You and I can rest in the sovereignty of God. Now, his sovereignty does not mean, in case you are wondering, man, that sounds awesome. That sounds fascinating. That sounds mind-boggling. Because he's our, in our, he's our dwelling place in all generations, that sh- means nothing bad should happen to me, right? No, that's not what God's sovereignty means. It doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you. What it means is this, that he still reigns supreme even amid the trying times, even amid the hardships and the bad things that will happen to you. God still is supreme ruler in your lives. That's what it means, him being sovereignty. You are here this afternoon or this morning 
I'm looking around. I don't see any what a Hollywood would describe as zombies. We're living alive, people. Why is that? Because of God. I don't know the distance and the proximity where you have to travel from, but by chance, and this is a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer, but did anybody walk here this morning who lived extremely far and you had to walk because you couldn't afford gas? And we know how the pumps are these days. We're here, we drove. Why? God provides for us. It's steep, I know. But God provides for us. He still reigns supreme. And you still have assurance of your salvation. When all of this chaos and nonsense comes to an end, we know where we're going to be spending eternity with God. And even if this world crumbles under our feet, shatters, destroys us, God is still sovereign in our lives, and we need to rest in that. The first two verses that we, I read for us should be reason enough for mankind to submit to God because of who he is. He controls everything, and, and you'd think by default that should be reason enough. But if that's not enough for us to submit to God as we move into our second point, if these verses aren't compelling enough, then verses 3 to 11 should be or ought to be compelling enough. I won't read all the verses, but I'll just read a few. For you turn man to dust and say, return, O children of men. Our children of man, for a thousand years in your side are but yesterday when it is past, or as the watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like a grass that is renewed in the morning. James used that same analogy in James chapter 1. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades, it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days are passed away under your wrath. And we bring our years to an end like a sigh. God's sovereignty, folks, is defining who he is in his being. But it demands humanity. It demands mankind to submit to him. You read verses 3 to 11 and you realize a few things that just pops out at you. When you do a compare and contrast, David said, You have been, or Moses, sorry, said, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then you jump to verse 3 and he's like, You say to man, Return to dust. And Moses is going to go into talking about years of life. So what that means is there's a temporality with mankind. We are not eternal. We are not from everlasting to everlasting. God is. God is. God is sovereign. God is the supreme ruler. You are not. I am not. 
And that's what jumps out at us in these verses, verses 3 to 11. We make a compare, compare and contrast between man and God, and it's incomparable, really. There's no comparison to be made. So here are a few reasons why we need you and I and humanity needs to submit to God. We are nothing. We are nothing. Moses says we are dust. We are fleeting. We are always changing. We are growing. We are aging. We are unstable. We are temporal. We are like grass. It's here today. It flourishes, looks beautiful, but then tomorrow it is gone. And the analogy that Moses was using here is that dry heat in Canaan where one day the grass will look luscious and green and bright. And the next day because of that scorching heat, and we've seen some of those heat during the summer, the grass just becomes brown and it's dead, it's gone. And you're like, that was beautiful yesterday and today it's just gone. That's the imagery here. And that's us as human beings. That's our lives. We're nothing especially when we compare that to God. Our temporality is expressed in our aging. Believe it or not, I wasn't born this old. I was what modern-day science would describe as not yet a human till I developed humanity for some strange reason. I won't even get into that. And I was born a baby, and I grew. And I'm still growing, still getting older. Our temporality expressed in our aging. We have a starting point. And by default, if there's a start, guess what? There's a finish, there's an end point. Moses argues, you know, the re- we, we might be given 70 years, and, and, and maybe God would be gracious and give us another 10 to that. And many of us might go to 100 or over 100. But he concludes, even then, this is like nothing compared to an eternal God. Mankind is subjected to the eternal God, and we need to be subjected to the eternal God, not the other way around. And that is why society creates a God who they can control and wants to create a God who they can control. He has power over his creation. Life and death are in his hands. Return to dust. That's, that's him saying, okay, your time has expired. However long I've given you to live, that this is it. This is where it ends. Time to return from the dust from which you came. We live, we move, we have our beings, like Paul said in Acts 17, because of God, because of him. And Moses expresses his unwavering faith in God despite the fact that he had to be chastened or punished for his sin. This righteous indignation that God exerted on Moses, Moses saw as a reason to submit to the God whom he served. And also have fear in God. And this fear is often referred to or described as its reverential fear of God. But I would argue that it's both reverential fear and actual fear in God. 
fear in him. Why? Because this proves that we are aware of his righteous indignation. And that force, that compels us to submit to him even more. So how long have you been on earth? Again, rhetorical. How long have you been on earth? How long has this earth been in existence? Many have come. Many have gone. But yet, God remains constant. He's still God. He's unchanging. We submit to authorities. We submit to rulers. We submit to our spouses. We submit to parents. We submit to other human beings whom all have variableness. They change. We change because that's our nature. So let me ask, why not submit to an unchanging God? Why is it easier for us to submit to human beings and not submit to a God who is unchanging? Submit your ways to him. Submit your will to his will. Submit your spiritual walk to him. Submit your troubles to him. And let him rule and reign in your lives as believers. And for if you're here, you're not saved, and you have no clue what I'm talking about with the sovereignty of God, and he controls everything, and he rules supreme, and that I need to submit to him. That's why he sent Jesus Christ we reflect, that, that is reflected in the elements that we just partook of. And I urge you, and I encourage you, if you're here, you're not saved, submit to him. Accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. Make him the supreme Lord over your lives. Surrender your lives over to him. And let him be the preeminent one in your lives. Submit your lives to him. His sovereignty demands it. It demands it. God's sovereignty is expressed in his person. That's just who he is in his being. His sovereignty demands mankind to submit to him as the supreme one, the preeminent one. But God's sovereignty also constrains us to plea to him. The last few verses, 12, 12 to 17. Moses, and I'll just read verses 12, verse 12. So teach us, so all of this, the fact that we are fading, we are grass, we are, we are nothing, we are temporal, we are, our age is limited and compared to you it's like yesterday. In light of all of this frailty and temporality with us as human beings, Moses did what I just said, he submitted to the supreme ruler. He said, teach us, teach us to number our days. Why? Not because, okay, I know that I have 80 years on this planet and I want to make the best use of those 80 years. That's not what Moses is saying. Teach us to number our days and he gives you the reason so that we may get a heart of wisdom. We may get a heart of wisdom. The eternality of God and the temporality of man ought to lead us to cry out to him for wisdom on a daily basis. 
That's what James tells us and commands us to do. If you're lacking it, ask God who gives it to you generously. A wisdom that begins with God. According to Proverbs 1 verse 7. Wisdom that ought to be applied to every aspect of our lives. Not just some. And this is something that this world is significantly lacking. There are so many because of their PhDs and their MDs and these higher academic studies think I am as, I'm wise. I'm the wisest person on the planet. I'm smart. But these are people who Paul describes in Romans 1 as professors of wisdom. So they might be professing it. But in reality, they're fools because wisdom begins and it comes from God. His eternality compared to our temporality should drive us to seek after wisdom. And we can be assured that he hears our cries for wisdom. He hears our cries for mercy and for grace upon our lives. And he brings satisfaction By his unchanging love towards us. Teach us how to number our days so we can get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity. Have mercy. When I look at who you are and who I am as a human being, be merciful and gracious to me, your servant. Satisfy us in the morning. Folks, he gives us satisfaction. Satisfy us with your steadfast love, your covenant-keeping love, a love that is unchanging, a love that is his love that says yes and amen. Satisfy us with that kind of love, your steadfast love. That what we may rejoice and be glad in all, not some, not only in the good times, but that we may rejoice all the days of our lives, whether it's 70 or 80 or 90 or however it is. Moses realizes that situation and circumstances should not dictate how he rejoices or views the God whom he serves. But isn't that us as human beings? Isn't that us as believers? Stuff isn't going right. And we forget God and we forget he's sovereign. We forget that, hey, he's still in control. He's he's not walking back and forth in heaven thinking, how did I miss this? Or how do I, let's have a board meeting to rectify this awful problem. That's not the God whom we serve. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servant and glorious, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Resting in God's sovereignty makes our days glad. That's what Moses concluded. He can rejoice 
regardless of what's happening, regardless of the chastisement that God may have brought because of sin and iniquities, he can rejoice because of who God is. Why is it that some believers, many believers for the past two and a half years have gone through all of the chaos that is happening and still are going through Why can they go through and rejoice and act as though nothing is happening in the world? That's because they have fixed their eyes on the one who is controlling everything. Why can these believers express unfathomable peace? Have you ever seen believers who go through traumatic situations, dire situations, they've lost a loved one tragically, or some kind of tragedy happened, and when you see them and when you look at them, you're wondering, man, how can they have this pleasure? It's not that they're happy about what happened, folks. They're rejoicing because of the God whom they serve. They know that amid this tragedy, God is still in control. God is still sovereign, and I can rejoice in that fact. They have peace, comfort. Why is it that there are people who are going through financial hardship, physical and mental strain, spiritual turmoil? And still walk around and you wouldn't know unless they tell you. Folks, the answer is peace. They trust. They put their confidence like Moses did in the God who controls everything. That's why he has displayed his supreme rule to us in his works. In the works of his hands. He has expressed it in him working in and through us. And he has bestowed his kindness, his mercy, his covenant-keeping love upon his people. God's sovereignty is embedded in who God is. He's the supreme ruler And because of who God is, that demands us as humanity to submit, to surrender our lives to him. And even on that point, Paul says he is so in control that whether you bow now or you're going to do it later, there's no option here. You can choose to do it now, Philippians. Paul says every knee. Folks, that is control. That is sovereignty. That is rule. Every knee will, future promise, bow. And every tongue. And think about that. There are people who are born with speech impediments. Some can't speak at all. But Paul says every single tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. You have the option to do that right now if you're not saved. To accept and confess, to bow that knee to Jesus Christ and surrender, submit your lives to him as Lord. His sovereignty demands it. His sovereignty demands it. Moses ended this with complete Confidence, 
complete assurance in the God whom he served. And I really pray and trust that we get a grasp of that confidence and assurance in the God whom we served and in whom we serve. Because guess what? It's the same God. The God that Moses uttered this prayer to is the same God we gather here and we're worshiping right now. He hasn't changed. I can rest, you can rest assured in that. He has not changed. Let us trust him. Let us put our confidence in him. Whatever it is you're going through in your life, whatever circumstances that, that come your way, let it be handled by the God whom you serve. He is sovereign, folks. That has been forgotten and is fleeting in Christendom these days because everybody is grasping at controlling them, or controlling the situation, controlling things, controlling their own lives. And forget that we have a sovereign ruler who sits high and looks down low and is completely involved in the affairs of men. Father God, may your words penetrate the hearts of your people. God, may we come to that certainty, that absolute certainty that you are in control. And may we rest and confide in that like Moses did at the, com- the conclusion of this psalm. That amid whatever trials or circumstances or hardship that comes, he can still put his trust and faith in God. He can still cry out to a God who is accessible, who has made himself accessible, especially in these days through his son, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have direct access to his throne. So, Father God, help us. Strengthen us, Lord, in our weakness. And give us the grace to always acknowledge you as the one constantly, forever sitting on the throne, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen.